Sales Tuners, Episode 105, Craig Story, Select Account Manager at Cisco. As you know, almost one of the hardest things to do is to break a customer of something, a habit that they've done for who knows ever how long. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown, the only weekly show where we talk about the attitude, action, and ability that gets sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. It's time. It's time. It's Sales Tuners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Shannon Alder, who said, carve your name on hearts, not tombstones. A legacy is etched into the minds of others and the stories they tell about you. Today, I'm joined by Craig Story, Select Account Manager at Cisco, where he's responsible for selling the company's complete range of industry-leading hardware, software, and technology solutions into only eight named accounts, while carrying an annual quota of more than $20 million, a quota he's never missed in the eight years at the company. Craig's play on the human network is all about using the resources available to him at Cisco, from the product experts internally, the service partners that actually create the POs, or the ecosystem partners that provide additional co-selling opportunities, Craig has to quarterback each of these channels while always doing what's right for the end customer. I wanted to give you guys a quick update on my travel adventures. My family and I are now in Kiev, Ukraine, our third country in as many months. If you know any B2B sales professionals here, I would welcome a connection. As we start to look at the next three months, we'll be in Venice, Italy, Barcelona, Spain, and then Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. Again, any intros would be greatly appreciated. Just shoot me a note, jim at salestuners.com. All right, make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 105. But now let's get to the conversation where Craig talks about the beginning of his connection to the human network with a local diner his family has owned for more than 40 years. I'm from a small town in southeastern Indiana called Greensburg, and uh, I think it's roughly maybe 10,000 folks in the town. It's kind of cool. They've gotten a lot of notoriety. Um, they've had senators, governors. A lot of people might know Greg Maddox from MLB has been in there. And they've been in USA Today. They've been on local news. Mom makes the pies every morning, still does to this day. Uh, so very family diner, you know, got the same customer base uh, that comes in day in and day out. And usually if people know Greensburg, there's a there's a chance they may also know Stories Restaurant. And it's always kind of cool to tell people that my parents actually own that. What's the best thing on the menu? When I, when I head over to Greensburg, what do I got to get? Yeah, so this may not surprise you uh, being in Indiana, but it's the uh, breaded tenderloin, of course, uh, that's about the size of your head. And then uh, you will be asked what kind of pie you want, no matter if you're there for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. So coconut cream, I believe, is the best seller, but everybody likes something different when it comes to pies, and I'm not sure uh, if you can go wrong. Well, Craig, as you know, in this show, we talk about the attitude, action, and ability that's led to your success. So, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb and say most people listening to the show, they've heard of Cisco, but may not exactly know what you do. So tell me what you do and why a customer uh, typically buys from you. Obviously, I came into Cisco in 2010. Uh, the company was started in 1984 and has, a, has had a hell of a run of success. When I started, we were uh, I want to say around $45 billion in annual sales. Uh, we're now up closer at $50 billion. And so we're kind of a household name, which gives us an advantage. And uh, really, the bread and butter products have been kind of the route switch wireless 
And if you're not familiar, don't know the industry, basically the products that make the internet go is the best way to put it in layman's terms. And so we get the benefit of having a large install base, right? Now, the thing that a lot of people might not know is that we are in a ton of different areas other than those kind of bread and butter product suites that got us started. So security and the rise of cybersecurity has been huge. Um, we've seen a huge spike in that business. Uh, we also do, you know, uh, collaboration. So voice systems, video systems, conferencing, uh, our WebEx product, but also data center servers, data center switches, huge business for us. So we are kind of... Uh, spoiled with the amount of things we have to go sell. And as an account manager here, I'm responsible for each and every single product. And then I get to work with specialists who kind of focus in on each one of those sets that we bring in uh, based on the sales cycle and where, where we're kind of at with the customer. So you talked about a lot there, Craig, and I'm going to hit on a few of these, but first of all, you haven't always been the person you are today, you know, hitting $20 million quotas. Take me way back. How did you actually get into sales? If we're in the Wayback Machine, and I would even say this is kind of like going into college time, a couple of my uncles are in sales, and specifically one of them in tech sales. And so I, I kind of always picked their brain and saw that they did really well for themselves and had a great you know lifestyle and everything else and uh, kind of people I looked up to anyways. And so the ironic part is they had engineering degrees, and yet they were uh, sales guys. And so I thought, hey, I'm good at math. I'm, I'm good at science and I, I like all that stuff. I should go get an engineering degree. Well, the irony is, is once I got to Rose-Hulman, where I eventually completed my computer engineering degree, I realized that, as a matter of fact, they probably weren't using much of their degrees at all, other than the fact that, you know, it kicked their ass for four years like it did me. And they really learned, <laughs> they learned a lot of good work ethic and how to plan and how to prepare and do other things that are ancillary to sales. I never once wanted to be an engineer at, at Rose Holman. So I, I immediately went to tools like LinkedIn and tried to find sales jobs as an engineer. And let me tell you, it wasn't easy. And I think I was extremely lucky in finding a connection on LinkedIn, actually with one of my Rose Holman professors and someone that worked at Cisco that graduated from Rose. And he connected me with a nice letter of recommendation as I was in my senior year. And he kind of took me under his wing. And I think the fact that I took an engineering degree into a sales interview with 100 other candidates, and I was the only one touting that, I did well enough there that they, uh, I convinced them to give me a job. And I, I guess I could say the rest is history. I went through that sales training program, which is a two-year program down in Raleigh, North Carolina for Cisco to kind of launch my career. And I've just kind of kept into getting into new positions ever since then with, with Cisco. It still kind of blows my mind though. You went to Rose Holman, you know, the, one of the top, if not the top engineering uh, schools in the entire country and yet have never actually used that degree. I, so you also mentioned the sales training. You had extensive sales training. Not a lot of companies do that anymore, uh, but the bigger ones do, right? But I, I operate kind of in the software space or the, the tech startup space. So talk to me about that. What was that sales training like in the early days of your career? When I tell people I went through that, a lot of people that I work with um, that know about it are, are usually jealous that I did go through it. And I'll, I think most of that, Jim, comes back to not just the training we got, but more of the connections that we make through that program and kind of some of the alumni of that program. But really what it is and how it's set up now, you're really sitting in classroom style, taking tests, taking assessments, doing role plays, 
those kind of things, learning about who Cisco is as a company, what products we have, how to position them, you know, sales simulations, things that probably everyone listening has done at some point or another. And then year two, they put you into an inside sales role where you get to kind of initially sit by someone and learn, you know, how the sales process works at Cisco and then kind of adapt your own style. And you you get a number. And for me, that number was, I think it was somewhere around three and a half or four million dollars in revenue of product to go sell. And so I was calling on the Atlanta, Georgia market as uh, all my peers were calling on different areas of the country. So I ran sales for a startup called Compendium, and that company was acquired back in 2013 by Oracle. And when we got to Oracle, and, and by the way, it was nothing against Oracle. I just had no interest in working for a that large of a company, so I hated it. But one thing that I noticed and I admired is they had something similar to what you're talking about with the Cisco Sales Associate Program. They had Oracle University, and they were taking kids directly out of college and putting them into a six-month training program. And I was like, wait a minute, like I never got this. Like I, I, I literally paid for myself to go through sales training in order to actually learn how to sell. And here you're talking about a two-year program. I think it's absolutely uh, fantastic just being able to, to go through that. And then again, the, the network and the connection of all the alums and knowing how to position the products and, and taking the time to invest in uh, that, that, uh, that, that next generation of sales. I just think it's fantastic. But I want to, I kind of want to start here. So you're, you're telling about your initial quota, $3 million. Quota today is $20 million, huge numbers. I, I don't like how on earth, being straight out of school, straight out of the academy here, are you selling $3 million worth of anything? Especially, right, there's so many questions. How are you selling $3 million worth of anything? But how are you also calling on people where you said most companies have some kind of Cisco already in there? You don't, you got tons of products. What, talk to me about that. How are you creating this conversation in the early days? So I guess I throw those numbers around and I should preface them by saying they're totally, you know, it's, everything's relative, right? I mean, I was, uh, I was calling on a $3 million account base, but they had probably done, I don't know, two and a half or 2.7 million the year before. So basically as Cisco goes and probably a lot of companies like Cisco go, our sales goals are basically almost always um, with few exceptions based on what you did last year in those accounts, plus some sort of growth factor that your manager and your company thinks is appropriate for you to do the next year. So what that has become today, it is constantly chasing the mouse, right? I mean, you are, it's almost like no good deed goes unpunished because if you have a really great year and you finish it, you know, 150 or 200% of what you were supposed to, that essentially means you just have to do it again and then some the year after that. But I guess going back to your initial, how are you doing $3 million right out of a sales academy? I mean, the, the base was there for us, right? So Cisco had already established in some of these customers a base of here, they're buying our routers and they're buying our switches. The challenge is then and still is today, how do you get them to buy our products that they're currently buying from a competitor? Or how do you get them to buy our server products that they're currently buying from a competitor? So you're, you're, you have to maintain what they're doing and then you have to break into one or two new areas almost every single year in order to be a performer. And that becomes the challenge, right? Because as you know, almost almost one of the hardest things to do is to break a customer of something, a habit that they've done for who knows ever how long, right? 
especially at their age too, right? Because like, you know, you're, you're calling on, on CIOs that are 50, 60 years old. And he, here you are, this 20 something kid that I, I'm imagining they're looking at you like, boy, what do you, what do you know? I, don't tell me how to run my business. How are you kind of like getting over that, that credibility uh, issue? That's definitely always been a challenge. And I would, I wish I was talking to CIOs every day, but in reality, that is, uh, that is a luxury. And even still eight years in can be considered a luxury. Um, even in my role now with experience and a little more age, that's just a tough level to get to. And it's even tougher in, in the bigger accounts that you get into. Right. But, you know, it, I think at that point you have to prove yourself through bringing in people around you. And so again, I feel very fortunate Cisco, there is so many resources for us. So people that have been doing this job for 10 or 15 plus years that are data center experts that you can kind of just say, hey, I'm going to get the meeting. I'm going to set the agenda. I'm going to open it up. I'm going to introduce you guys. But I really need your help bringing home the value of why this customer needs to switch to our product and what value we can bring. And I'm the one responsible for maintaining the relationship you know, getting the price or whatever it may be to the right point, but you're leaning on some of those resources. And, and some of the art is just knowing when to bring those people in, not too early, not too late, right? Because you don't want to waste their time or, or have an irrelevant meeting with the customer. So it, it, it was a learning. I think, you know, we called on a base, Jim, and just to give you an idea, we were doing 4 million bucks when I first started in my patch. And I think I had a customer named customer list of about 300, 400 accounts, it, where I was getting that from. And again, it's the 80-20 rule. 80% of that revenue was coming from the top 20% of the accounts. My goal was what one or two or three or four accounts that aren't you know, in the top 20, how do we break into those? Cisco would invest in tools, sales tools for us that we could kind of research accounts and figure out where there might be wallet share that is untapped. So it was fun. You know, It was a great way to start. And it's totally different than what I'm doing today where I have eight accounts and I can't add new customers. Um, I am literally tasked with, these are your eight accounts. You did this much last year. You need to get them to spend this much this year to hit your goal. It's a totally different world. What, what do you mean you, you can't? Like you literally, like that's it. You have eight customers. You're not allowed to call on anybody else? That's it. You could bring me a $10 million lead tomorrow. And if they weren't one of my eight accounts, I would have to give it to someone else. Wow. Yeah. So it, it's... In that, yeah, it's a totally different world. And so, I mean, every, you know, it, we break accounts down, enterprise, and like I said, they have one or two, uh, sometimes three, and then there's MySpace, which is Select, uh, hence my Select AM title. Typically, we have five to ten accounts, but again, we cannot add to that base. So we start every year with an account list, and whatever that account list is, that's what we work with. Craig, I know you're friends with uh, Sam Hay, who is uh, a former uh, guest here on the show and also a client of mine with Castell, the company he's with. You've already started to share some of the differences between a company as large as Cisco and how sales works there. And, and you've kind of talked to me in the past, like um, comparing and contrasting how you know Sam does what he does at a brand new startup. But what other things do you see uh, that are just completely different or like a surprise to you, I guess? We have a lot of fun just talking about our jobs because we both have sales titles and we're both individual contributors. But what we do and what our days look like seem to be very, very different. But yet the heart of it all is the same, which is, 
you know, trying to get your customer to buy from you and, and generate revenue and margin and all that other good stuff. And I, I would say one glaring difference, and I don't know how much detail we want to go into here, is compensation um, and how how he is compensated versus how I am compensated. And that for that matter, gold, right? So I already told you kind of how we're gold, which is, hey, here's how much you did. You got to do more. And, and for Sam, it seems to be um, a lot more like, hey, just go sell as much revenue as you can and you're getting paid on the on the margin and you get so much per, you know, mine is all a percent of a plan. So I am every day I am paid as a percent of how I'm retiring. So if I have a $10 million product goal and I sell a million dollar deal, I'm going to get 10% of my pay on that next paycheck because it's always a percent of my goal. And then once I'm over that 100%, I then get into what would typically be called like accelerators, right? Where they're paying you more to keep the pedal to the metal and keep selling beyond your, okay, you've hit your goal. Now, now go and do even more because we're going to give you more money to do it. But that, that's still on top of base salary though, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So, and again, I, I can't recall Sam's, but um, I'm happy to share that, you know, my, my total take home 30% of my take, 35% of my take home is base salary. So I lean 65% of my t- what I'm expected to make every year on commissions. Invariable. Yeah, no, I see. And I think that's great. So in the, in the startup space, right? Like we don't have that install base that you have already had, right? We don't have those eight accounts. So, you know, it's typically about 50-50. So 50% of, of your comp is your base and then 50% is your, your on-target earnings if you hit it. But what I see a lot, in, especially in the startup space, is most of the reps don't hit their quota. And so that's because, because it's an unknown quota. Like it doesn't, it, the, the number is kind of like just pulled out of the air. Yours at least seems like it's coming from truly forecasted business opportunities. But let me ask this question. Like what happens at, at, at a company like Cisco if you miss your number? Cisco has more data than you could wrap your mind around, which you would expect from a company that size and, and been doing it as long as we have. But I'll tell you, the goals still get jacked and, and sometimes in your favor and sometimes, you know, heavily against you. It happens. I have been very fortunate. I have hit my goal sometimes barely, other times uh, by quite a bit every year. I don't know if that run will always continue. I certainly, certainly hope it does. But I heard, I heard a stat that kind of surprised me uh, last year at our global sales meeting, which we just got back from in Vegas. We do it annually. And uh, I think it was somewhere around 45% of our company hits their number every year. 45%. Yeah, 45%. So I don't want to give you the illusion that everyone at Cisco is hitting their number um, because it actually is, in fact, a very hard thing to do. But what that tells me is if, if we're hitting our number as a company, which we have been for quite a few quarters, those 45%, some of them are doing two, three, four, five hundred 500% of their goals to make up for the 60% that aren't. And again, the other thing is, of those 60%, what I don't know is how many are in the 90 plus percent range, because I bet it's a lot, right? I bet that there's a lot of people that are falling just short and not heavily short. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's funny, right? So I, I, you may have to re-ask your initial question because I've gone off on a tangent here, but... <laughs> no, I... I, I think that's fine, but I, I kind of want to move on to that a little bit. Like, so then tell me about like what your day looks like. What is your day to day? You got eight clients or eight customers that you can call on. You've got a, a portfolio of products, you know, that I couldn't even fathom. What do you do every day? What I love about sales is, as you know, not every every day is pretty much different in some way, shape, or form. But I will say one consistency is every Monday I'm in the office. 
Um, Monday is our team day where we meet with our manager as a team across the board. Uh, my team spans into the St. Louis region. So we get on a big video unit, which we sell and, and use internally. We eat our own dog food to use the cliche. And uh, we, we talk for an hour and a half as a team about the last week, month, quarter, and the future week, month, quarter, and initiatives and everything else. And then I spend the rest of that day typically syncing up with what I would call my extended team, my engineers, my product specialists, uh, my services folks, people that I have to work with across the board to get my job done. And I use that Monday to kind of internally sync on the priorities for the week and everything else. So Monday is probably the most consistent day of my week. And then after that, it's 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 all over the board usually. But, you know, I, I've kind of in, in myself, I've coined the 642 rule. Uh, for me, that's six customer interactions or meetings a week, four partner interactions or meetings a week. And one thing I haven't told you about our job, if you don't know, is everything Cisco sells, we sell through a partner. So we na- we take no POs directly. Um, that blows some people's minds. It, it blows my mind right now. Are you serious? I am 100% serious. So we are completely, everything we sell, whether a partner was involved or not, it has to be processed by a partner in the middle. There's no exceptions. The only place there is an exception is when you get into accounts like IBM and AT&T that buy so much Cisco that they can buy it direct. I, the number I've heard is $30 million. If you buy $30 million or more as a single a company, you can buy it direct. Otherwise, you have to buy it through a partner. So when I say 100%, there's a little bit of fluff there. So four partner meetings a week. And, I'll, and again, not getting back to why they're so valuable, because we have to, we have to be as deep with our partners sometimes as we are with our customers. And actually in the role I used to be in, which was more of that mid-market and geo role that was in some smaller accounts, we call that more of a partner-led model, which truly means we are relying on our partners to get meetings, take down deals that we are not even involved in, we don't ever see, we don't even have to call the customer, and they're bringing the business to us. That becomes a lot different when you get up into MySpace and enterprise where in my job with only eight customers, my boss expects me to know intimately every project, every relationship, along with the partner rep, usually. And so customer customer and partner relationships, it becomes an interesting thing because, you know, we got to play Switzerland with our partners a lot of times and can't so sh- show favoritism. But at the end of the day, a lot of times we're putting in bid situations where a customer knows they want Cisco, but they're getting quotes from three different partners. And, you know, that's always an interesting uh, place for us to be where we kind of have to stay hands off, but yet also make sure that the customer does makes the right decision and gets taken care of. You know, I'm starting to hear sitting here thinking about like conflict of interest and, and all that kind of stuff. Like, how do you play Switzerland when you know, like, well, this partner is probably not the best partner for this specific customer because I actually know their needs. And can you go around them? Can you take them to another partner? Like, give me an idea, like how that works. So for every one of me, Jim, Cisco has a partner uh, employee in my job. So there is partner account managers whose job is to cover the local partners that we work with and sometimes national partners. And they're the ones that are supposed to be the ones that are keeping us in line from a sales team and making sure we're not doing anything in the, in the gray, so to speak. But you're right. Uh, um, it's, at the end of the day, it's, it's my customer as well. And we got to make sure the project goes well. So to me, if you're asking me, and you could get you know 30 different answers from 30 different people, but I will speak up and make some things known to a customer if I think, hey, this isn't the right partner and you really need to consider that. 
and I think, you know, I'm at a point now with these customers, you know, in Indiana, I've called on for almost three years now that I have good enough relationships in most of my customers that they're going to probably listen. And they're probably going to ask some questions about, you know, why that I'm saying what I'm saying or, or, you know, what they need to be looking for. And, and they're going to make the decision that they think's best at the end of the day, right? My, my job is to make sure Cisco gets the PO and not our competitors at the ultimately, but we also need to make sure that the partner that they're selecting is going to be the partner that helps them make that project successful. But let me ask you this. This kind of maybe separates from, from Cisco and just talks about you, but what separates you from other salespeople? Yeah. I, I mean, ultimately, I think um, a lot of it goes back to how I approach my job with and again, I think attitude being an underlying factor, right? And I think, um, I think at times I'm probably uh, overly honest if that's if that's a thing. And, and we talked earlier about how salespeople can honestly get painted in a in a bad light, whether that's from you know the media or social uh, aspects, whatever. But you know, I honestly think that it, the way I approach it, just uh, attitude wise, honesty and some humility. Um, I try to always keep things above board, so to speak. And I do that with partners and customers. And I think at the end of the day, that that typically leads to a lot of trust, which in in my role, I learned this day one at Cisco is ultimately you should become a trusted advisor for your customer. And so I've kind of always tried to keep that in the back of my mind. And I guess anybody listening, I would say, keep that in the back of your mind is people buy from people. And if they trust you and they like you and they know that you got their back after they make a purchase they're probably going to give you someone else. So to become a trusted advisor, I guess, ultimately, um, the things you got to do to get there uh, starts with attitude, in my opinion. Well, Craig, I think that's a, a great place to take a quick break so that I can say thank you to my sponsors. But when we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away. And sales tuners, you don't go away either. We'll be right back. Costello is pioneering the way companies build and execute sales playbooks. The platform helps sales reps prepare for calls, ask timely questions, tell relevant stories, and sync insights back to their CRM, all while showing managers and reps the gaps in every single deal so they can work them together to move them forward. With Costello, sales leaders can identify what's working on the front line and replicate success across their entire team. Learn more and see a demo at andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com. We're back. And it's time for the money round. Craig, are you ready for the money round? I suppose I couldn't be more ready. So let's find out. <laughs> What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? So if I had to bottle it up, I would say my passion of what I do for a, in the solutions we sell and the knowledge of those solutions and mapping them back to how they help my customers' problems and help solve their problems is ultimately what I think makes me uh, an exceptional salesperson. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell yourself to spend the next 30 days doing? I think uh, activity, activity, activity. Um, I would fill every single minute of my calendar with customer, uh, partner interactions, or, or even internal resources or leadership who will help benefit me in my job. And two-part question for you here. Which phrase describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose. For me, it's I love to win. Um, and I simply say, you're going to lose. It happens. You can learn from it, no doubt. But nothing be beats celebrating a big win. What's a book, Craig, that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? I've recommended a few times a book called What Got You Here Won't Get You There. 
and it's by Marshall Goldsmith, which is uh, Marshall's actually a Rose Holman alum, and uh, he's one of the top ranked executive coaches in the world. So uh, I don't read a ton, but that's a good one. Sales tuners, if you'd like to check out Craig's suggestion of what got you here won't get you there for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book. And there you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book for what got you here won't get you there. And Craig, you may not be a reader now, but we're going to get you on Audible and you're going to start listing to books so that you can get to that next place for in your career. Ready for that? I love it. <laughs> What's currently at the top of your bucket list? Yeah, so we talked a little bit about this uh, Europe trip, which uh, I'm going to cross off uh, for two different countries at least. Uh, next week, I'm going to uh, Amsterdam, Ibiza, and Barcelona. And then uh, after that, I don't know. I haven't been to Hawaii or uh, an exotic island like Bora Bora. So maybe that's next for me. What's the biggest piece of advice you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? So you've probably heard it a couple times by now, but if not, always show up with an infectious attitude, be humble. And uh, make yourself transparent to your senior leaders. Um, I think we talk about customers all the time, but you know, if you're going to try to take the next step in your career, I think it's important that you're meeting, talking, and keeping your senior leaderships involved at your company. I may have just been in startup mode for way too long, but the idea of only being able to sell to eight customers and only through partners... Well, it just doesn't appeal to me. I highly respect Craig for the work he does and his ability to maintain a $20 million quota, but my goodness, I'm not sure I could do it. Let's get to my top takeaways. Number one, build connections. Careers are long. If you start thinking about the sales you're going to make over the next 20 to 30 years, it will become apparent just how important your network is. Both internally and externally, you need to be able to call upon people when you need help. But to do so, not only do you have to build the connections in the first place, you have to give first before you can expect to receive. Number two, become a trusted advisor. We've all heard the mantra, people buy from people they know, like, and trust. While I don't fully subscribe to the like part, the trust part is paramount. So how do you build that trust? The first thing is to know what you're talking about. By studying your industry and the buyers in that industry, you should be able to know the questions you need to ask to make them think. That will open the door for good conversations. But then you have to prove to them you will have their backs after the sale is made. Remember, careers are long. Number three, the grass isn't always greener. Whether you're in startup or established company, SMB or enterprise, inside or outside, it can always seem like someone else has it easier than you. And maybe it's true, but so long as you're in your current role, you need to focus on the objective in front of you. Comparing yourself to others is a recipe for disaster and will lead you to constantly chasing the mouse. That's it. Those are my takeaways, but I'd love to hear yours. Please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. I reply to every message that I get. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thank you for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. And they stay there.